Now here is the great, great secret of effectual prayer. Listen carefully. The prayer that gets to heaven starts in heaven. I believe God wants to shake this old country one more time with heaven-sent revival. That's what God wants to do. There also has to be the other side of the coin, our responsibility to share that life-changing message with those around us. There's something in the nature of God that wants His love to be shared with other people. Welcome to Not Another Baptist Podcast, a weekly podcast exploring the ins and outs of church revitalization with your hosts, Matt Hensley and Kyle Beerman. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Christian Standard Bible. We encourage you to check out the CSB after the show to learn about a translation that is both readable and accurate at csbible.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Matt Hensley here. I'm joined by Kyle Beerman, unfortunately in a hideous Texas Rangers hat, but it does cover his bald head, and we are yes. grateful uh, for that. Uh, but we are the knuckleheads that bring you every week, uh, not another Baptist podcast. But thankfully, uh, you don't have to deal with us much today. We have two great uh, guests with us uh, this afternoon, uh, Dr. Adam Greenway, the president of the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and Dr. Jamie Dew, the president of the New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And uh, right off the bat, uh, before, before you even say how you're doing and what you're uh, drinking, whether it's a double shot from Starbucks or tea, I'll go ahead and get that out of the way. Uh, I, I just want to start with the battle of brisket and beignets. <laughs> Argue for your cuisine in your town. That's what I want to start with. Dr. Dew, we'll begin with you. All right. Very good. Well, you know, I'll say this. When it comes to killing cows and doing delicious things with cows, I have to give my hats off to my brother in Texas and give him props there. Maybe maybe even pigs, too. Uh, those could be good. Uh, but, uh, man, when it comes to anything seafood and, and lots and lots of other things, especially desserts, I like my city an awful lot. I'll simply say, uh, you know, again, Part of this, this dialogue is to model ways in which we're together in the task as the two new SBC seminary presidents. So I want to affirm, first off, that I do think Dr. Dew probably has the appetizer at the marriage supper of the lamb there in New Orleans, the char-grilled oysters at the Dragos that my friends in New Orleans have taken me to. It's uh, heavenly. And those are properly followed by the incredible main courses we have here in Fort Worth between the uh, barbecue, the Tex-Mex, the chicken fried steak, and I could go on and on. And then, of course, we could, we could circle the wagon back around and complete the loop with uh, beignets and uh, coffee au lait at uh, Café du Monde. So, again, I think uh, in terms of the culinary options, uh, our two seminaries are probably the best positioned in the SBC to uh, have such a, uh, a friendly uh, uh, org. Amen. Now, Matt, I would like to point out that for all of your love for uh, Southwestern, you, you, you are rocking a hat from Houston. And so I just want to point out, I am wearing the hometown hat. I, I made that a very specific choice because, for one, I don't have any Southwestern swag, so I had to get the next best thing. And that, was the, <laughs> that was the hometown baseball hat there and in this the gorgeous true. powder blue. 
Yes. <laughs> uh, I, I'm just going to go with no comment there. Uh, but, uh, but Dr. Greenway, uh, during, during these kind of difficult times, uh, I, I know we can lean on God's word every day uh, of the year and in every month, every week, every day. And, uh, but during this kind of difficulty of COVID-19, the pandemic and the uncertainties that our members are facing, your students may be facing, faculty, kind of the emotions that go back and forth. What have been some scriptures that have just been a balm of encouragement for you uh, during this time? Yeah, look, this has been an unprecedented moment for all of us. And there's not a person I would say on this Zoom call that has not had his or her life uh, radically impacted and altered by COVID-19. Certainly true here at Southwestern Seminary. I know it's true at New Orleans as well, and all of our SBC entities. You know, not to be trite, but I'll tell you a, a passage that has really um, meant a lot to me in this season, and it is Psalm 23, and just David's words uh, about the Lord being our shepherd and how he leads us. And he leads us uh, in places we would not choose to, to go ourselves. He leads us in circumstances we would not uh, want uh, ourselves, but um, the Lord is at work, and He is a shepherd. He is guiding us. He is providing for us. He is caring for us, um, and also mindful again of Paul's words in the New Testament in terms of uh, all things uh, the Lord uses to bring about His desired ends and, and purposes. Uh, the fact of the matter is, I don't believe God caused COVID-19. I, I don't have a theology that attributes uh, that to, to, to God's uh, direct uh, activity in terms of bringing this about uh, in that sense. He obviously could have withheld it, could have restrained it, but he allowed it clearly to do some things. We don't know all of those things, but I think uh, we have to be submissive and understand that he is using COVID-19 to bring about good and to bring about his desired ends. And if any, nothing else, I think one of the things that is doing is increasing all of our reliance and trust in the Lord and in his sufficiency. When you're facing unprecedented circumstances that really do cause you to have to make decisions that have never been made before in the life of an institution, you realize just how quickly, how inadequate you are. Mm. And I'm very mindful of the fact that um, Southwestern Seminary uh, is far greater than the president of the day. Uh, the success of Southwestern Seminary is far greater than, than any accomplishment that I can bring or I can uh, achieve in my own strength and my own power. And if anything, I think it is teaching all of us a greater reliance and dependency upon the Lord and that he is at work. He has not abandoned us. He has not forgotten about us. And even when we don't understand all that is happening, our confidence is in him and our trust has to be in him. Sure. Dr. Dew. Yeah, very well said. Uh, like, like Dr. Greenway, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. I would kind of, in terms of passages of scripture or even biblical themes that have been recurring in my mind and my heart over this, this journey, uh, there are those that I would put in one category of as we ventured into difficulty that came to my mind that we leaned on. And then there were those passages as we began to see God doing things in our lives, there are passages there too. So, you know, as we're venturing into it, like Dr. Greenway, the Psalms in particular, uh, a lot of, especially the early Psalms where, you know, the psalmists, one of the things I love about all the Psalms is that there's such an honesty and a rawness to them. They're not pretending, it's not plastic. They're, it's not filled with cliches. These are real people dealing with major, major problems and difficulties, and they cry out to God with great honesty. And then there's also a turn in the Psalms where they'll do that. They'll be super raw and honest with God. And then there's a turn in the Psalms and almost every one of them where all of a sudden they 
nevertheless, I will hope in the Lord. And there's a resolution, so to speak. And so as we venture in, it's passages like that. It's passages like Matthew chapter 6, where Jesus teaches us not to worry, but rather to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and trust that all these things will be added to us. So passages like that as we would venture into the difficulties. And then I would say, as we get into it, several things, it's clear God's doing something, right? And, you know, Dr. Greenway mentioned ways that God's changing us. A passage of scripture that's come to my mind a lot in all of this is uh, John chapter 15, where Jesus talks about pruning. You know, he's the, he's the great vine dresser, and he prunes us. And I definitely think that probably for all of us, this has been a great season of pruning, where there's things in our lives and patterns in our lives where you know, it could be really bad stuff or it could be not so bad stuff, but just stuff that's not yielding and producing the optimal amount of fruit for the kingdom from our lives. And I think that if COVID-19 has done anything, it's shaken us from what's normal and caused us to go back and rethink and cry out to God. That's healthy. That's good. Um, another passage, just one more real quick. The, the passage in 1 Samuel chapter 7, where Samuel talks about Ebenezer stones. And he, he sets up these places of remembrance, and he even makes this statement, thus far the Lord has helped us. Mm -hmm. And man, I got to tell you, in this scenario, for, I'm sure it's this way for myself, Dr. Greenway, and probably for all y'all, it's impossible to see your, your way all the way through it. But the Lord responds and provides in such ways that it's very clear, nevertheless, no matter how bad it is, he's with us. And he provides enough for us. And I have to say, in the spirit of what Samuel says there, you know, thus far the Lord's helped us and he's made it just really difficult for us to despair. So we're grateful for his provision to us and uh, for the way he's provided for his people. It's just been really neat to see. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you both for, for sharing that. Um, in these days, as as our, our nation and, and certainly, you know, it looks different for every state, but as, as our nation begins to reopen and, and churches begin to, to come back, um, pastors are hearing a lot of voices, right? There are medical experts, there are politicians, uh, there are people in our churches that, that maybe have different uh, viewpoints and, and different opinions about what we should or shouldn't be doing right now, different voices in the communities in which we serve. Um, and so, Pastors are dealing with a wide range of, um, of voices trying to speak to them and having to wade through that to, to make choices in wisdom about how to reopen, what to reopen, and, and, and how to proceed with, with ministry in, in, in a new landscape. And so, um, Dr. Do, I want to start with you. And if you can walk us through really uh, how we can lead with wisdom and grace uh, amid the competing voices how we can shepherd those who are battling fear, and then how we can respond to those, maybe even in our pews, who are spreading some of the fake news that, that's out there right now. Well, yeah, I would say a couple of things. Number one, I would there definitely needs to be a dose of grace and latitude that we give to each other through this season. And I've been pleased over the last few weeks, a number of people have really pointed that out and doubled down on that, that not everybody's scenario is different. Right. So like in, in the state of Louisiana as a whole, most of that is rural. And what happens and the amount of exposure and the cases in each of those places indeed is very different from New Orleans. I can tell you by having lived through this in the right smack dab in the center of one of the epicenters of this early on, this was very real here in the city of New Orleans. And so, you know, all that to say what we do in the city of New Orleans may very well be different from what happens in Ruston, Louisiana or something like that. 
So that's one thing. Everybody's circumstance is different. Allow some latitude and some grace. Number two, the resources that we have available to us to execute the mission and to get after what God's called us to do are abundant. I mean, we really do have a lot of resources, especially in an age of technology. So that gives us a, a sort of a runway of flexibility. So, you know, it's going to look different for everybody. Give the grace to everybody. Expect innovation. Welcome innovation. And then let's learn from each other as we do it. Um, and so I think that just dispositionally allowing that amongst the body of Christ to, to be uh, at work is valuable. Let's not be quick to jump on Twitter or, or Facebook and condemn what other people are doing. You know, they're wearing masks, they shouldn't be wearing masks, or they're doing drive-in versus online. I mean, look, all of these things are valuable to the body of Christ right now because it's kept our churches going, it kept the mission going, and those are all very, very good things. And so I, I would just simply add to that maybe this is a season where you make on my end, I tend to make decision as, decisions on these things as late as I possibly can, um, simply because on some types of decisions, once you've made them, the toothpaste is out of the tube and you can't get it back. So like on what we're doing for the fall, right now we're planning for the fall. We may have to change that, but I'm not going to change it until I have to. So, and as I do that, I'm, I'm being patient with the process. I'm collecting as much data as I can, and I let my, my stakeholders speak into that in very meaningful ways as we make those decisions. I, I would say yes and amen to everything my uh, counterpart in New Orleans said. I'd add a couple of things that I think would be uh, good for all of us. And one of the things, when Baptists have been at our best, we've always had a pretty strong understanding of ecclesiology, uh, the doctrine of the church. Uh, that's been, I think, one of Baptists' uh, distinctive contributions to the task of theological uh, method and reflection has been our work in ecclesiology, and there's a line of faithfulness going back in these areas. One of the things I think COVID-19 has done for us is it's forced us to do some uh, fresh work in ecclesiology, to really look at the nature of the church, the work of the church. What does it mean for us to be the church when, certainly in our lifetimes, for the first time, churches have not been able to gather together physically? Not to mention, again, as Dr. Dew indicated, what we've had to do at our respective institutions in ceasing in-person, on-campus instruction. Uh, we've just gone through a season where uh, neither of us have held in-person uh, spring commencement exercises. That's the first time that ever happened here. 112 years, we made it through world wars and depression and all kind of other challenges. And COVID-19 is something that, that is disruptive in a way none of us could have predicted. And frankly, trying to even make decisions about what we're going to do uh, going back to the words of our Lord about do not worry about tomorrow, uh, that takes on new meaning when tomorrow can bring new data and new information and new uh, issues to address that, you know, we can be planning something on Monday and Friday, those plans can be upended. That, that, that's just the nature of leadership in this. I think Dr. Dew is exactly right when he says, one, our responses need to be obviously contextual. Uh, what's happening on the ground in New Orleans is not the same thing that's happening in Fort Worth. It's not the same thing happening in, you know, Hiram, Georgia. Not the same thing happening in Paducah, Kentucky, or wherever it may be. That, that we, We've got to have uh, leaders who understand their context, their situation. Obviously, we want to follow the best recommendations from the governmental authorities, CDC, and, and others. And at the end of the day, we have to be reminded, and this is a, a sort of a pet peeve of mine, and I don't mean to, to kind of go down this path uh, on this, but you know, it's very easy for us to use the personal possessive pronouns when we talk about, uh, this is my seminary, uh, this is my church. 
And, and I know what we mean by that in terms of this is where I serve, this is where I belong. But especially when it comes to the bride and the body of Christ, the only one who actually ever has the right to use the personal possessive pronoun is Christ. Yeah. And I think, if anything, COVID-19 is reminding us Christ is far more at work to preserve, to protect, and to perpetuate his church than any of us. And our sufficiency needs to be seen in him. We need to be prayerful in terms of how we regather, how we do what we do, how we continue to be the church, even as we're not gathering together, if we are gathering together, being socially distant and responsible and, and the like. But the Spirit of God has to be at work in the life of the community uh, through its leadership. Uh, and again, in Baptist life, the, the local visible church is Baptist headquarters. So each congregation has to figure this out, led by the Spirit of God, under the authority of Scripture, about how they should reopen, when they should do that, how it should take. And we need to have grace in terms of looking at how First Baptist New Orleans is going to be different than Travis Avenue Baptist Church in Fort Worth, than Lone Oak First Baptist Church in Paducah, or another congregation. And that's the beauty and sometimes the messiness of, of Baptist life. Awesome. What, uh, what resources have your institutions put together for church leaders kind of during this, this season? I, I, I know some of what's, what's going on at, at Southwestern, so uh, we'll, we'll let you share in just a moment. But, but Dr. Dew, what's New Orleans doing for, for kind of the everyday pastor? Uh, and, and I know you mentioned there's a lot of rural context in your, your church. A lot of people that listen to us are from rural uh, context. So, so share what, what New Orleans is doing for them. Yeah, we've tried to do a, a variety of things. Number one, just communicating with uh, our constituency on a, on a fairly regular basis about how things are going on the campus and how it's for the students. Sort of indirectly, that's serving the denomination by helping them to know how the people they've sent to us are doing and providing resources for them. We've also worked really hard to provide resourcing for those students so that they could come through. Uh, we've been in dialogue um, with a lot of, uh, a lot of ours has been sort of behind, I guess you could say behind the curtain or closed doors. I've been in dialogue with a lot of pastors on a, on, especially early on a very almost daily basis with where they're at, what they're going, what needs they have, whether or not we could do anything for them to help them, you know, borrow equipment, borrow spacing, facilitate meetings, whatever they would need to do. Um, I've also had some dialogues with uh, some of our church planning partners here in the area and some of our Baptist Association about what's going on in uh, this greater New Orleans area and how we could serve them. Uh, in large part, most of our energy has been in helping the students that they've sent to us, uh, figuring out in those first two weeks on how to just make sure everybody was safe and everybody was doing well was a big challenge at first because of a lot of our people they didn't have anywhere else they could go. So this is their primary residence. And so they stayed here. Keeping everybody safe was a, a big key part of that. And then figuring out, helping provide pathways for our students to move forward. Those have been some of the important things that we've done. Dr. Greenway? So similarly, first uh, a concern in COVID-19 was taking care of our student body. Uh, at Southwestern Seminary, the students are the most important uh, constituents. And so working to make sure as Dr. Dew indicated, particularly with our international students, that they uh, had uh, provisions and places to go. In fact, we've been working uh, and work is happening. Uh, I'm in a temporary uh, space right now because we've got a lot of work happening on the campus in terms of some of the deepest uh, cleanings. We've depopulated the dorms, doing some things to, as Dr. Dew indicated, that they're doing at New Orleans to make plans to be back on campus in August. But there's work that has to be done in May, June, and July to be able to have the opportunity to, to get there 
we've also been communicating regularly. Uh, we use our website, social media channels, and others. Uh, I'm not nearly the uh, the daily uh, video star that Dr. Dew is, and if you're not uh, taking advantage of his daily videos, you're missing some great content uh, there from uh, not only Dr. Dew, but uh, his wife, uh, Dr. Tara Dew, who uh, they make a wonderful uh, first couple for our sister seminary in, in New Orleans. One of the things we've had a real burden for, of course, and a lot of this is from my background uh, in pastoral ministry and interim pastoral ministry, is for churches, especially uh, churches in transition. We've got a number of pastorless churches navigating COVID-19, trying to figure out what does that mean in terms of preaching, what does it mean in terms of resourcing, navigating the search process. Our Center for Church Revitalization has put together a package of materials, including uh, online uh, messages, one of which uh, from, uh, from me, Others on our faculty, worship resources through our School of Church Music and Worship, Dean Joseph Kreider and, and others, trying to do things to help provide practical resources, especially for churches and pastorless churches, churches in transition, that uh, they didn't expect to be going through a transition and an unprecedented moment of, of disruption, and they're looking for resources and guidance. We want them to think of Southwestern Seminary as a credible partner and a resource provider for uh, them. In fact, as we record this on Thursday, tomorrow, uh, we're doing a, a webinar uh, that Dr. Kreider and our School of Church Music and Worship is hosting involving our state music consultants on uh, worship ministry, worship ministry in and after COVID-19. We've got 400 plus participants involved in that. You also can sign up for that. You can find information about that on our website. But trying to do things, uh, staying in contact with pastors, churches, uh, making sure that they know that Southwestern Seminary uh, is not just thinking about itself in this season. We really are concerned in terms of what is happening in the churches of our convention and how can we come alongside uh, through our efforts and to provide resources and to uh, be helpful to them working with other denominational partners in this season. And you mentioned working with other denominational partners. One of the beauties of the Southern Baptist family is, is that none of us have to operate in a vacuum. We We have... Um, we have entities, we have, we have seminaries that are, that are a part of the SBC family. So, um, Dr. Green, we'll start with you here. What, what are some ways that, that you are leaning maybe into your other seminary uh, presidents or into the other entities as well to help um, navigate the, the COVID-19 crisis as we come and as we come out of that? Yeah, no, I, I think, you know, Southern Baptists uh, uh, are blessed to have uh, the number of uh, entities we have and state convention partners and associational partners. Uh, when we were at our best, Southern Baptist are an incredible network of energy and we're a family. And so working and staying in contact, particularly with uh, our international mission board and what is happening around the world. I mean, you think about, there's not been an entity probably that has been experienced more disruption thanks to COVID-19 than the international mission board, because they truly are our global entity. Uh, there is not a time zone around the world that has been unimpacted by COVID-19, and the IMB is there. So very thankful for Dr. Paul Chitwood and the extraordinary leadership he's providing at, uh, at IMB, North American Mission Board. I mean, COVID-19 hit right during the Annie Armstrong Easter offering season. And so praying for that support, because that's a major factor in NAM's budget for their work in church revitalization and church uh, strengthening, church planting, thinking about uh, LifeWay. Uh, and what Ben Mandrell, who was one of the new uh, SBC entity heads, along with Dr. Dew and I over the last 18 months, uh, he's come into a situation that LifeWay's had great challenges in terms of being a resource provider and an event provider. And you can't do any events and resources are uh, uh, 
uh, not uh, as uh, prominent as they were uh, beforehand. And we've seen some of the challenges LifeWay is uh, navigating. We pray for Ben Mandrell and for our friends in Nashville uh, with LifeWay. Southern Baptists in their collective wisdom have decided we would have not one, but six uh, seminaries. That's a sign of great strength. It can be a sign of creative tension at times, as I like to say. But I will say, and uh, Dr. Du, I think, would affirm this, there's been a good spirit amongst the six of us, uh, the SBC seminary presidents. We've had a number of conversations, particularly early on, just about plans and timing and what's happening across our campuses, because there are a great deal of similarities in terms of none of us are doing on-campus instruction right now. All of us are thinking about the fall. All of us had to deal with international students and other challenges, fiscal and budgetary model issues. Uh, I will say, uh, Dr. Dew and I have probably had uh, a number of conversations, even just between ourselves. One, because we do have a sort of a special bond as uh, the two new seminary, newest seminary presidents having come into our roles just a few months uh, apart. And naturally, if you look at the history of the SBC, when we've been at our best, there's always been a strong relationship between Southwestern and New Orleans. Uh, we've had a lot of folks who have done degrees at both institutions. We've got a number of our alumni who are teaching at New Orleans and vice versa. And so, um, Dr. Dew and I have kind of built a bond, uh, I would say, that uh, I've really enjoyed and I've bounced ideas off of him and he's done the same with, uh, with me, uh, trying to be faithful in terms of our own stewardship. But um, I tweeted last night, and I mean this, uh, I didn't know Jamie Dew really a year ago uh, because our passions hadn't crossed, but he's quickly become one of my favorite people in the SBC. I think New Orleans Seminary is very blessed to have him and Tara in leadership there. I think the future is bright for the School of Providence and Prayer, and uh, I've enjoyed our conversations and the way that he is thinking through things as he's stewarding his influence for um, New Orleans. Um, I'm getting insight in terms of things that I want to do here in Fort Worth, and hopefully I'm able to reciprocate that little, little bit to him. Amen. Yeah, I'll just say, um, I, regarding everybody, obviously during this season, there's a little more interaction and a little more communication amongst all of the entities than, than normal. I mean, by nature of what we do, we already have built in times every year and there's moments where we talk and dialogue where, and we, we learn from each other and sort of compare notes. But during a global pandemic, we're obviously doing that more. And then when there's a financial crisis attached to it, we're doing more. So it's been for me, you know, coming into the job being so new, it's been, especially nice to have those extra times of phone calls with entity leaders and, and texts and things like that. I've learned tremendously from that. I would say just the Southern Baptists that are, that are, would watch this or hear this, you know, as being uh, Dr. Greenway just mentioned, you know, this has been sort of our rookie season that we got to do together and that, that lends itself towards a, a special type of bond. Um, really across the board, Southern Baptists would be pleased to know that really all of the entity leaders have been very kind and supportive and helpful to me and to each other. And I mean, I, I really feel like I can call any one of them right now and help. And so that's been a very, very good thing. Um, and then, yeah, especially during this season uh, of just comparing, I'm on the phone, you know, at least once a week with somebody just trying to figure out how are y'all handling this? There isn't a manual for this on how to do this. And so we're all sort of collectively going through it together. Uh, and then, but yeah, as Dr. Greenway said, there's some very natural ties between our two schools in particular. For, for he and I, as I mentioned, this has been our first year together that we've just kind of, you know, wrapping our head around the institution. That's led to a lot of really fun conversations and a good friendship. Uh, and then, as he's mentioned, man, our faculties are sort of intertwined in many ways historically as well. I've got a lot of faculty here on this campus that did their degrees at Southwestern. 
and still have very strong ties back and forth. And so uh, that that's created a really nice and a very pleasant friendship. And uh, I've deeply enjoyed that with Dr. Greenway and, and with everybody, but he and I, especially, yeah, this first year, it's been a lot of fun to get to know each other and work side by side with each other like that. And if I can add real quick, um, again, as we're recording this on Thursday, next week, uh, it's going to be a special online event hosted by the SBC Executive Committee and Ronnie Floyd, SBC Advance. Uh, you can go to sbcadvance.com, I believe, and get more information. But it's going to be basically an online gathering where uh, Dr. Dew in New Orleans, myself and Southwestern, all the entity heads are doing videos and reports and ways to give an update to Southern Baptists about what is happening at their entities because we don't have an annual meeting this year. We don't have a chance to gather together in person uh, because of COVID-19, but there is going to be a time where all Southern Baptists can hear from their entities and their presidents about what is happening and how we are uh, leading through this season. And I think it's going to be an extraordinary time of encouragement and exhortation uh, in working to affirm that the genius of the cooperative program still stands. What happens when Southern Baptists come together and cooperate together and give together and work together really is the envy, I believe, of organized Christianity. Uh, there's, there's nothing else like it, nothing else that makes possible what we are able to do in a way that, frankly, makes my task, Dr. Dew's task, uh, far easier. The fact that because of the cooperative program, there's money we do not have to go out and raise in development efforts in an increasingly adverse time watching the stock market and what's happening is a major blessing. And we can never say thank you enough. And it's just another way, again, that I think Southern Baptists uh, should be encouraged to know they've got seminaries uh, working together, entities working together, that again, there are always times where uh, there are challenges that confront us from within and from without. But we are better together we are stronger together and there is a great degree of unity in this uh, in this moment i think i be because of that announcement i have to ask this question for for dr kyle bierman uh will there be questions allowed after that report <laughs> i i have no questions <laughs> I, I will I, my mic will stay firmly muted throughout the sbc advance <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Kyle, I love you, Do Dr. Greenway. Uh, during the season, er every pastor, you know, we we use the term kind of pivoted uh, into moving into online Sunday schools, online worship, online this and that, uh, coming up with different ways to to engage their congregation, to to shepherd their people. As we shared earlier, those that are never going to leave their, their house until the rapture. Those that are already outside of the house, you know, it, we've got everybody in our, in our churches. Same thing with you guys with the, the institutions. Uh, th this will be kind of two parts with it. What can we take from, from this kind of moving online season in our churches into once we're back in person? What, what are some of the lessons in this kind of transition time that we can keep uh, every every day, every Sunday, um, and then uh, similarly with your, your institutions? Well, this, this line's not original with me, uh, but uh, here's what, one of the things I think COVID-19 is teaching us. There are some things that uh, we can do in person or we can do online, and it's just as good online. There are other things that we can do in person or online, but it's clearly better in person. COVID-19, I think, is giving us a deeper appreciation for real in-person community. 
Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm about zoomed out from doing Zoom meetings. Not that I don't enjoy them and it's great to see your faces, but I so wish we were together either here on this campus or in New Orleans or in Orlando where we could see one another. We could sit down and enjoy uh, a double shot espresso together, uh, the, the, the wonderful uh, caffeinated beverage that uh, I know you love, uh, Matt Hensley, and to have opportunities to be able to do things that you just can't do uh, via technology. There's just something missing at that point. And that's one of the things, sitting out in my office here on this campus and looking out and not seeing students going to class, students hanging out, students being here, has been one of the most uh, depressing aspects of COVID-19 because the students are what makes Southwestern Seminary. In the same way our pastors, you're talking to pastors, most of whom never dreamed they would become televangelists. That, that, that they weren't thinking about literally talking to a camera with nobody else except maybe the tech person in the room. That, that's not what they've set out to be. The lack of being able to do in-person ministry, I think, is giving us a deeper yearning and deeper sense of just how precious our callings are, how important our stewardship is. So I think that as we begin to regather, there, there's going to be, yes, hesitancy as people, again, kind of decide for themselves to get their higher risk categories, how much exposure and how much risk and those kind of things. But we need to celebrate uh, the fact that when our church is gathered together, this is good, this is right, this is exactly what ought to be happening. This is a sign of God's favor and blessing to us. But it's also, I think, gonna mean we can do more things to stay connected, even during the week using technology. The sad fact of the matter is too many Christians go Sunday to Sunday with no interaction with each other. It's just Sunday to Sunday. And through this, we can see each other, we can hear each other, we can, in a sense, have a degree of virtual community where we can be together Thursday afternoon, Wednesday night, Saturday morning, whatever we wanna do. There's great flexibility in finding ways to be intentional in connecting. And that's one of the things I think um, here that uh, we're gonna continue to be committed to an on-campus residential model of theological education. I still believe there's something special when you get faculty and students together in the classroom and on the campus. That's where the magic is. But that does mean we're not going to also be serious about online learning and doing everything we can to in increase the quality and the availability of that for everyone. It's, it's a both and, not an either or. And I think that's one of the things, my, my, my favorite story I've told, and some of you may have heard it in other uh, Zoom calls I've done, is a pastor friend of mine back in Kentucky who said for two years, I lobbied to get uh, online giving in our church and the finance committee steadfastly refused to do that. And COVID-19 hits and all of a sudden they've become the greatest evangelist for online giving in our church. You know, sometimes it, it takes those moments to bring about innovations that we should have had all along. In many ways, perhaps we're gonna find more intentional ways to connect during the week outside of the campus in order to make the anticipation of gathering together every Sunday even more significant. For sure. I know for, for our folks, one of the things we've, we've done is Monday, Wednesday, and, and Friday uh, is, is I send out a devotional for, for our people. We, we don't have the internet capabilities, about half of our church is on the internet. Uh, so, so I can send those out to those that do, and then we, we print them out for, for those that don't. Uh, but part of that is they have a to-do list every day, just three or four things, simple things that might be, hey, go take a walk, uh, go go out, um, you know, go and, and just sing a song, go, you know, something very simple, but but one in each of them have some level of 
communicate with somebody else. You know, contact somebody from your Sunday school class, your neighbor, send a note, make a call. And, uh, and our, our folks have, have said numerous times that that has been their, their favorite part of this whole season. They haven't enjoyed a lot of the having to do online or sitting out in the cars for driving. So, I mean, they're, they're grateful for it, yep. but they, they have gotten to know some of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ <laughs> in such a deeper level through the yep. phone calls and praying for one another, encouraging one another. And so that's something that I hope pastors that, that they're looking at everything that they've learned during the season and to continue learning those lessons and incorporating them into the life of their, their church. So Dr. Dew, uh, what, what about you? I like saying that a lot, by the way, it <laughs> kind of has a little rhyme to it. Yeah. Unfortunately, my last name sounds like a co comic book character or something like that. <laughs> generic software or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd say well said to what Dr. Greenway just mentioned here. If COVID-19 has done anything, it has given us a scenario that reminds us of just how much we need each other. We need each other relationally. We need each other psychologically. We need each other spiritually. We need each other missiologically. And so it's given us a context now that, we, that should forever change the way we celebrate and embrace public gathering. I mean, we've taken it for granted for so long and never really, yeah, you know, you could, yeah, I guess the body needs to meet. You kind of felt that way before COVID-19, but now everybody feels it and they see it in a unique way. And I think that that's, that's actually a really good thing for us. It's also, anytime there are big problems, it, problems give an environment for innovation to be born. And I think that what we've all, I've been so proud of the body of Christ largely with a big C church because it found a way to continue pressing forward when it seemed like there really wasn't one. We made use of all sorts of technology and we learned that we can do those things better. And I tend to think that anytime online stuff, granted it's not the exact same as, uh, thing as something face-to-face, -face, but it, it is an, a valuable asset that allows us to do some things. Uh, I think that for churches, there are things that they discovered or fell into out of necessity uh, in this that they should keep doing. So for example, maybe you don't want to do your Sunday school classes or your, your small groups via Zoom anymore, but what about the shut-ins who can't come? And now all of a sudden they've had access to interact with a group or something. We should probably keep doing that from an institution. I mean, I started doing announcements, sort of these little video announcements because somebody said we, our cabinet was meeting twice a day for an hour or two or three sometimes each early on when things were moving so fast. And somebody said, I think it would be good for our students to see your face and hear your voice at the same time. I said, all right, let's do it. So I literally ran over there, filmed a video. The next day, so much had changed. We needed to do another one. And by about the third day, it was obvious that our people just needed to hear from us. And um, so we sort of fell backwards into that. And now I'm sitting there going, why would I not communicate with my family every week now? You know, so... There's, I just feel like it gives us the opportunity to communicate in ways that, that perhaps we weren't thinking of before. And those are all good things. I think at the end of that, what, what's forced us to do in thinking outside the box is we have gone into the mode of engage, 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 and get creative in doing it. And man, I hope when we come through the other side of this and we're able to go back to normal, I hope we don't lose that. Uh, maybe we can engage face-to-face -face now but I hope that we're I hope that we're forever a little bit different about the intentionality of just connecting with people and talking with people, and making sure that we're checking on each other. That's that's healthy, and that's how it should be all along, anyway.
That's good. Well, you talked just a little bit about um, plans for the fall and, mm-hmm. and what that's going to look like. And, and obviously, I mean, at this point, August is, is a long, long time from the end of May, um, especially given the last couple of months that we've experienced. Yeah, uh, since the, March was like 12 <laughs> weeks long. Yes, yes. Um, so you, we may have some folks on the call who are really weighing, you know, do I do, I do residential um, seminary? Do I, do I go online? And obviously there's a lot of, um, there are a lot of factors that go into that decision-making process. But if, if COVID is, is maybe, you know, causing them to lean a little bit more towards online, what, what would you say about, you know, your future plans for online or for, for in-person residential theological education and why, as, as uh, Dr. Greenway pointed out a while ago, why that should be the number, the, the, the first option for someone considering uh, seminary education. Dr. Dew, we'll start with you on that Okay, one. good. Yeah, I was going to ask if I could go first on that. And I, I Look, I love this question. I've spent the entirety of my academic career doing something related to online stuff. I remember 15 years ago when online education started, and by the way, I'm speaking not just to my students here and to Dr. Greenway students, I'm speaking to SBC students right now in any of our six schools here, okay? When I started this 15 years ago, I remember the debate was, is an online degree worth anything? Can you do anything with an online degree? Blah, 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 blah. Those questions are gone now. We, it's been established, yes, you can, they're legitimate degrees, you can do all kinds of stuff with this. The debates were whether or not the quality was the same, Fast forward 15 years, go through an economic downturn, go through now a COVID-19. Those problems have forced innovations and technology has developed to the point where I would say this, the quality of the product that our schools produce in our online classes is solid. So I'm going to say what I say, not because of the quality of the education you can or cannot get online versus residential okay what i'm about to say has nothing to do about quality i'm convinced that the product is strong all right now i'm going to say this if you have the opportunity to get to campus get to campus for this reason the longer it takes you to do your degree program the less likely it is that you will finish period that's not a new orleans issue that's not a southwestern issue that's not a midwestern southeastern southern issue gateway issue that's just life man that's the way it works the longer it takes you to do your degree the less likely it is you're going to finish now here's the deal Residential students average on the whole about 12 hours per semester and online students average on the whole, and this is not just my statistic, this is true of the United States, the online averages anywhere between three to six hours a semester. Bro, you're never gonna finish. The longer it takes you to finish your degree program, the less likely it is that you finish. So when you start doing the math on how long it will take you to finish your degree program, taking three hours a semester, just stop. I mean, you're wasting time and money. Just being on campus, that one factor greatly increases the likelihood that you take a sufficient number of hours per semester to finish your degree program in a timely manner and thus greatly increase the odds of you finishing your degree program. I'm just gonna say this to everybody. We don't exist here at New Orleans. Dr. Greenway doesn't exist at Southwestern and none of my other colleagues do in their places. We don't exist to dabble in theological education and ministry preparation. We exist to get people here, get them prepared and send them out so they can get to the church and to the mission field. And students don't come here to dabble either. So let's not dabble. Look, the product is strong and there are clearly circumstances in people's lives where you need to do it online, fine. But if you have the ability to do it residentially, 
do it residentially simply because you significantly increase the likelihood of you finishing your degree program. Now, that's just a pragmatic reason. There's a lot of other reasons too. What about what you gain from your 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 faculty and your the relationship? I mean, those that's huge. So, and I hadn't said anything about that. So, I think you know, you're kind of passionate about that, Doctor Duke. I care very. I don't. It yeah. just frustrates me to watch people start and not finish. I'm. We've got to do better. And I say that. Look, I think across the board in theological education, not just here in New Orleans, we've got to do a better job of increasing the number of people that finish their course of study. I just want hashtag uh, bro. You're never going to finish trending. Look, I appreciate his passion. I share it. And I'm going to say yes. And amen to everything he, he just said. In fact, what I would say is just to tag on to what Dr. Do so um, eloquently uh, elaborated upon. One of my prayers in COVID-19 has been that the Lord would use COVID-19 to strip away some of the excuses that I think oftentimes creep up of why people won't pack up and come to seminary. There was a time, I, I, I came to Southwestern Seminary out of college from Sanford University in the summer of 1999. And that was a time where the Southern Baptist Seminaries were just getting into the online world. So at that time, if I wanted to come to seminary, I had to pack up and move and go. That's not the world today. You could take classes, at our seminary, at New Orleans Seminary, at any seminary, basically anywhere. Um, so why should you come? Well, I'll put it this way. Uh, as Dr. Dew rightly indicated, there, there are, I'll say, intangibles that you just can't get in the same way uh, in this format. Uh, some of the best content of these Zoom meetings has been what didn't make it onto the recordings. Mm. It's the pre-conversation. It's the post-conversation. In the same way, some of the most memorable content I ever received in seminary was not part of the planned lecture from the professor. It was after class as he's walking out and I was walking with him to the office. Or could I grab a cup of coffee together? Or could we talk about life and ministry and those kind of things? It's organic. You can't script it. You can't plan it. it you have to be there. And I think there's um, a time where online education can make it seem like it's always there, it's easy, if I want it, I can do it. I do think our Lord meant something when he said that the cost of discipleship is counting uh, a cost and paying a price. And while again, you can serve God anywhere, you can be prepared anywhere, and again, I'm all for online education, especially in this season. I still think, and I'm still praying that God will use COVID-19 to where there are people out there who were you know, relying upon a job that they couldn't leave and the job goes away. And other circumstances that God just strips away all those, these earthly securities to where it becomes abundantly clear, there's no excuse I can offer to not follow God's will and not pack up and not come to Fort Worth or to New Orleans or wherever God may be leading you. And that that is a decision I, I've never regretted packing up and coming to Fort Worth, never. Uh, I, I have talked to students over the years to be as transparent as I can be in my various roles here and at another institution who have said to me, they were online students. And they said, I wish I would have come to campus more. I wish I would have had more of the on-campus experience. I've never heard people who said, yeah, I wish I'd have done more online and, and not had all that, all that time on campus with these faculty and in chapel and, and those kind of things. You're thinking about given life expectancy and depending upon your eschatology, a theological education in which you will spend years that you're going to be drinking from and feeding people from for decades, decades. 
Dig the well as deep as you possibly can. Go all the way that you possibly can. Uh, come in thinking, I'm not just here just to get the easiest, quickest, shortest, fastest way out of here to get a you know, frameable piece of paper, but I'm really here to be prepared, formed, challenged, shaped, molded into the, the minister of the gospel that God wants me to be. And I'm going all the way as far as the Lord will open the door. Don't limit how God can use you by your own disobedience and lack of preparation. I've learned, and especially in this role, talking to people about their calls, they'll, they'll come as a prospective student saying, I think I'm going to do X. And then they'll enroll, and a year later they'll say, well, I think I'm going to go do Y. And then I'll see them at commencement, and they're actually going to go do Z. And probably five or ten years after that, it'll be A, B, and C. You need a theological education that will sustain you for decades. That means it's not just about the transmission of content. It's about the transformation of life. And that happens most significantly when you're living together, learning together, serving together. Uh, I, I love a, a slogan that Dr. Dew has brought to New Orleans. You prepare here to serve anywhere. Something special happens if you're on the New Orleans campus. Something special happens if you're on our campus in Fort Worth or any of the other campuses. There are people here, there are relationships here, opportunities here, ministry here. Don't uh, fail to take advantage of that if God's calling you. I like his facts about that. I know, right? I, I'm just wondering if Dr. Uh, Kyle Beerman's seat is getting a little warm over there, uh, hear, hearing all of these, uh, these wonderful uh, understandings of on-purpose, on-campus on uh, seminary education. Dr. Kyle, you okay? I'm, I'm good. I'm okay, good. I'm muting you, I'm, so you can't <laughs> talk anyway. Uh, <clears throat> I, and, I've got to... Can, can I add just one thing, back, back to an earlier question? It's the same reason why as churches begin to, to gather back together, don't just settle for watching the live stream. Go. Yeah. It, it's the same principle. Yeah, I can get the sermon and I, I can watch the, the worship, but it's not the same thing as being there. For, for sure. And I think I saw that Dr. Queen had, uh, had popped into the, uh, the feed at one point uh, in this, and, and he is a great example of that kind of unscripted, uh, moments that make that on-campus ministry worthwhile. Uh, I've, I've had a taste of Extension Center and then on-campus and online. And uh, when, when I was in campus or on campus with him, uh, we were taking the final exam when I found out that some uh, kids that we were fostering were going to leave, like during the exam. And uh, so, so he gave me the option, you can leave and fail or you can, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, he, he said, you know, go, like, get out of here. And he prayed for me and, and then checked on, you know, a couple of hours later is calling to check on me. And, uh, and, and yes, you can have some, some of that with online, but there's something about just being able to get a cup of coffee together, uh, visit with one another in the cafe, uh, going out to eat at, at Cousins or, or wherever that place that y'all were talking about, oysters earlier, uh, where you can have that kind of fellowship one-on-one, face-to-face, arm-to-arm, and be able to do that kind of ministry training together. And uh, so as we begin to, to wind down, those of you that are uh, tuning in, we're glad that you've uh, taken this time to visit with us today. Uh, I, I just want to ask some personal questions here. And it's not about hairlines or who has more hair or beard or all of that kind of stuff. Uh, but but y'all are some of the two newest additions, if you will, to, to the institution presidents that we have. Uh, what is God doing in your family? Uh, what is God doing in your institution? And what excites you most about the future? We'll, we'll begin with Dr. Greenway. 
Well, a um, lot I could say there. First off, coming to the presidency of Southwestern, many have heard me say, was, was coming home. Uh, I did my MDiv here, met my wife here. She's an MACE alumna. Um, I, I can't tell my story. I, I owe my family uh, whatever success I've had in ministry to Southwestern Seminary. So the opportunity to come back here to serve as only the ninth president uh, defies description in terms of the joy it's been. Uh, May or 27th, earlier this week, was my 16-month anniversary. To say that these last 16 months have been uh, eventful would be the understatement of the, uh, of the year. Uh, the Lord has taught me a lot about leadership. Uh, a lot of things I, I knew coming in, a lot of things I had to learn uh, coming in. You can prepare and plan and pray to come into a position like this, but until you're sitting in that chair, you just don't know what you don't know. And one of the things that has blessed me beyond uh, measure has been uh, how the seminary community has received uh, me, Carla, and our family. We're the first uh, presidential couple to bring small children into the president's home. Uh, if you don't know, we have a son, Wade, who just finished fourth grade, be fifth grade this fall. I have a daughter, Caroline, who'll be going into kindergarten. And um, the fact that our family is getting to be here on this campus has been extraordinary. If anything, the Lord has continued to teach me. This is his seminary. He has far more love, care, concern, and uh, intentions uh, towards Southwestern Seminary than anything I can bring to the table. And I love this institution dearly. Uh, I, I uh, could talk for hours about what Southwestern Seminary means to me and why I'm so passionate about what it means to be back home under the dome, as I like to say. But I, I can't imagine uh, wanting to be anywhere else doing anything else, even in the midst of a global pandemic. If I've got to be sheltering in place, I'd rather be right here in Fort Worth, Texas. And I believe with every fiber in my being, on the other side of this, uh, God has extraordinary plans uh, for Southwestern Seminary. Not because of me, not, not because of, of, of my own uh, sufficiency, but because the Lord uh, is at work here. He's doing things with our faculty, our staff, our students, in forging a sense of community. I, I've been blessed by what I have seen and experienced with our faculty and what they're doing. Some of the innovation, as Dr. Do rightly indicated, of our faculty, their willingness to, in less than a two-week time span, to go from an entirely uh, hybrid model of on-campus and online instruction to an entirely online institution. And without complaining or uh, hesitation or, or pushback, but out of a burden and a desire to not disrupt the student experience. Uh, again, the faculty are the heroes of Southwestern Seminary to me, and the chance to be uh, cheerleading and supporting these men and women, to continuing to work to, to build uh, the strongest possible sense of community uh, here. Uh, I'm thankful every day for what it means to be serving uh, at Southwestern Seminary. Dr. Dew? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Next Friday will be one year since I was elected the president here. And so given the fact that we're so close to that date, it's been inevitable that my family would spend the last week or so just remembering back to what it was like last year. And it was a, at one time the most joyful, overwhelming thing, and at the same time, one of the most painful, heart-wrenching things. Uh, what most people didn't realize is my father-in-law was dying in the middle of all of that, and he passed away right, in, right around the time it was announced I was the candidate, and we grieved through that and, and all of that stuff. Um, and so, you know, we've thought a lot, even this week, about just, my, look at what the Lord has done. Um, I think for all of us, for all six of us, 
I'd say it this way. We were told when we got here that if you love the city of New Orleans, it'll love you back. And a year later, I can tell you that is absolutely true. We've thrown ourselves in heart and soul. I mean, we, we've done festivals and basketball games and football games. And we went to 11 or 12 Mardi Gras parades and had a blast. And we've eaten the food constantly. And uh, that's been true. You love this city. It loves you back. But I, I would add to that, that same thing has been true of this campus. I, part of what I grieved over last year about this time, it was a deeply joyful and sorrowful season all at the same time. I loved the college at Southeastern with every drop of my blood, and those students meant the world to me. And while it was crystal clear that God was calling me here, I was afraid that I would leave a people and never love another people and never love another place and calling like I'd love that one. And I got to tell you, I came here and, and we've poured ourselves into this campus and these people have loved us and accepted us as their own. And I, that brings not just me, but all six of us in the Duke crew tremendous joy. We are at home. We're at peace. Uh, we count ourselves privileged and blessed. Not that we get to be the presidential family, but that we get to live in New Orleans with these people and be counted among them. Um, I'm excited about what's happening here on campus. There's a, New Orleans has a great history of being a faithful servant seminary that's practical in nature. I'm excited about the synergy building around a single mission, and that is to prepare a generation of servants to walk with Christ, proclaim his truth, and fulfill his mission. Those four principles of servanthood, devotion, proclamation, and mission drive everything we're going to do. And I'm excited. It just invigorates me to build stuff like that and to watch the faculty and the students begin sort of uh, surrounding that idea and going after that. That means uh, a lot to us, and we're excited about that. What gives me hope uh, and gets me excited about the future when I think about NOBTS, um, NOBTS is, uh, as I've discovered a people here that are humble and faithful, and I get excited about different ways that we can tell that story. I'm deeply convinced that, you know, God, Old and New Testament, loves humility. And he loves servants. And um, that's who I found here. And I found it in a city that's, that's just filled with so much fun stuff and broken stuff and, and opportunity and culture and joy and happiness and a people like that. I look forward to telling that story and finding ways to do that. And then last of all, I'd simply say it gets me excited to think about the places that our students are going to. Uh, we're preparing a generation of students to go into the darkest places in the world, where the darkness and the oppression is thick, and there in those places shine the light of Christ. And some of them will give their life for it, and some of them will have success in the eyes of the world, and some of them won't. But to think of them in their faithfulness going there, uh, I could... I could put up with any burden or problem or difficulty uh, knowing that we get to do that. And so that, that excites me and it gives me great hope for the future and excited to be a part of it for God's kingdom. That's great. Well, as we, as we wrap up here, uh, Dr. Du, we'll start with you. And, and that is uh, just simply how can, uh, how can our SBC brothers and sisters be praying for you, for your family, for New Orleans? Thank you for that. Um, I don't mean any of this as a cliche. Look, I mean, I've, I've been a normal Christian dude my whole Christian life. Uh, not exceptionally spiritual or anything like that, but at the same time, you know, not a spiritual blockhead either. 
Uh, I like to tell people that about, I don't know, what was it, about 18 months ago now when I when the process first started for me, out of nowhere, I went from minding my own business to, uh-oh, <laughs> what in the world's coming at me? Uh, about that time, 18 months ago, I feel like the Lord just pushed me down onto the floor. And he's not going to let me up because the gravity of this role and responsibility are so enormous. Um, and I feel that every single day, you know, I mean, you think you make decisions and you push the needle in places that are going to have an impact, not just for the school and for the people in it right now, but ultimately it's going to impact our churches for decades to come and the denomination for decades to come. And I feel that way every single day. Mm. And man, I just say, pray for me, pray for my, my soul, my spirit, that I would pursue Christ more than I ever, ever have because I need it desperately. Pray for wisdom. I need the wisdom of a thousand men right now, every day. <laughs> and then pray for strength, the ability to, to press on. And, and then in the midst of all that, just pray that, you know, I got, uh, I got two sets of twins. The oldest set are 13 and the youngest set's 10. I've got five more years with the Dew Crew in, at home. And that, that next five years is precious and sacred. And I, you know, above everything else, I have to be a faithful dad and husband there. So just pray that I will be effective there and uh, that I'll serve my children and my wife very well. Dr. Greenway. Again, yes and amen to all that. The, the, um, the greatest thing anybody can ever do for me, for Dr. Dew, for any of us in leadership and ministry is to pray for us. And, and it, it, it's, it's one of the easiest things to say that we do. It can come across as trite, but um, anytime somebody texts me or calls me or sends me a note saying, I'm praying for you, that means the world to me and it means the world to us because like Dr. Dew said, I, I confess I'm, I'm inadequate in and of myself for this task. And, and my inadequacies continue to be shown in the midst of navigating, having to make decisions about what are we going to do on the other side of COVID-19 when there are so many unknown unknowns that we have to, to, to navigate. So prayers for wisdom, protection from the evil one, you know, there are folks out there who do not want us to succeed in what we do. There are folks out there who want us to fail. They, they do not believe in our mission, our vision, our values, or the gospel. Uh, there are truly enemies uh, out there, and we pray for supernatural, for sovereign protection uh, from those who, uh, who want to use crises and pandemics to, to harm uh, our institutions and our work. We need to pray, as our Lord said, that God will continue to call out people into the ministry. Uh, Dr. Dew and I lead institutions that are not open enrollment in the sense of anybody can come. You can't get to New Orleans Seminary or Southwestern Seminary apart from a, a credible testimony of, of, of salvation and uh, a sense of calling. And that calling has to be both internally and externally affirmed, right? That, that you believe you're called and that some local body has said, we think you're called and we're willing to affirm that. So one of the greatest burdens I have is for the Lord to continue to use our pastors and people in ministry, even in the midst of this pandemic, to say, is God calling you? Is God challenging you? Is God calling you into the ministry to go to the mission field, to go to the hard places, to, to leave your comfort zone and to do something uh, that may seem radical in, in many ways? I am praying we're going to see on the other side of COVID-19 actually an uptick of people who are thinking about seminary, theological education, and ministry who weren't before COVID-19, but God just rocked their world and uh, got a hold of them to recognize that his plans and purposes were far greater than, than theirs. We continue to pray for students. We pray for support. Uh, again, uh, it takes resources to do what we do, and we're thankful for the cooperative program. We champion that, but we always need others 
who can come alongside and support what we do. That The reason why Dr. Dew and I were able to receive the Southern Baptist Seminary educations we received was because there were countless people whose names we'll never know this side of eternity who gave sacrificially, who were able to make possible what we were able to experience. And as those who have received much, much is expected from us. And so I want to be one who is always working to challenge and to encourage support because the need for a trained and equipped ministry is never going away this side of heaven. Uh, so I believe very passionately that um, our work in fulfilling the Great Commission uh, is very important. The task of missions, evangelism, church planning, church revitalization is intimately linked to the task of theological education and uh, to, in a sense, discipleship and formation. So uh, we covet your prayers in that. Amen. Dr. Dew, uh, thank you. We're rooting for you. Thank you, my friend. There, that's that's the extent of my ability to uh, to rap or to rhyme. Uh, but for <laughs> real, we we are rooting for for you, uh, praying the Lord's blessing on on you and your family, the institution that God has called you to serve, as as Dr. Greenway shared earlier, is institution. And uh, so we uh, we're we're rooting for you in the days ahead. Uh, same thing with you, Dr. Greenway. Uh, grateful for you, and we thank you both for taking the time to visit. Uh, with two knuckleheads, one in a baby blue hat with a T on it, T for turd or something, and, uh, and then the, me with a Houston Astros hat. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that in front of presidents, but, uh, but anyway, we're glad that you took the time to visit with us, and until next time, may your coffee be as black as night and as bold as a gospel you declare, unless you are drinking tea, in which case I guess it's okay if it's a little lighter in color. Uh, but thank you for tuning in. Have a wonderful day. May God bless you. This podcast has been sponsored in part by the Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. There are a lot of great things happening on Seminary Hill, and so we encourage you to find out all about them at swivets.edu after this short clip by Roy fish. Again, that is swbts.edu. Have a great day and God bless. People without Jesus are lost. And they're not only lost, but they're in danger of being eternally lost. The fact that people are going to be in hell if they don't somehow come into saving faith.